people killing and people dying, children hurt, and you hear them crying. Will you practice what you preach? Will you turn the other cheek? Father, Father, help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people have got me questioning. Where is the love? Of course, those are the famous words from that hit song of 2003 by the Black Eyed Peas and Justin Timberlake. It's called, Where is the Love? The song, of course, is partly a lament on the lack of peace in the world and it's partly a prayer to God our Father. Father, Father, help us. They're asking God to send some help from heaven. And all of us here today identify with this cry for peace, don't we? Nations are at war. That's Ukraine, isn't it? Yemen, Ethiopia. There is crime all around us, everywhere. Four people knifed, I think, last week or something. Relationships in our communities are fractured. And of course, on top of this, uh, there are other things robbing us of peace in life. Family problems, joblessness, loss of loved ones. Mental and physical health issues. The list is endless. So the black-eyed peas are right, aren't they? We need peace. But they are wrong to ask God to send us peace. Why do I say that? Because God has already done it. God has already sent us peace. The Bible says the peace we long for is not an idea or a principle. Peace is a person. Is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he himself, Christ, is our peace. That's Ephesians 2. Jesus has come to be our peace. And so the first question is, do you have a true relationship with Christ, the Prince of Peace? Because you need that if you're going to have peace in life. Does he know you as his child? Do you know him? Well, if you do, then he's your peace in every situation. And if you don't know Christ truly this morning, then come to him. Cry to him to be your prince of peace, to give you a new life of peace with God that then results in the peace of God in every situation. Let Christ be your reconciler. This is what we are talking about today. And if you are here a month ago, or four weeks to be precise, four weeks ago, you may remember that we began looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 to 23. Uh, We said this section of verses uh, are actually teaching us that Christ is God the Son who has put on our human flesh to reconcile all creation to himself. We focused on verse 20, and in verse 20, we learned that the death of Christ has ushered in or inaugurated a new humanity that will one day live in the new heavens and the new earth. So we live now in the now, but not yet. The new heavens, and new, the, 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 the heavenly age has broken in, but we don't yet see its fullness. But God has a plan in Christ to make all things new to enable us to live in the new heavens and new earth without sin. That was verse 20. Uh, Verse 21 to 23 is what we're focusing on today. 
And the underlying truth of these verses is that Christ, of course, reconciles us to God. It's repeating uh, what verse 20 says, but it focuses more now on what Christ has done for us as human beings. He has come to be our peace. So look, at, look with me there again at verse 21, 23. Just read those verses again. It says, and you, he's talking to the Colossians and us. Paul is writing this letter to them and to us who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he that is Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There are just three truths I just want us to see in this passage that really teaches us how Christ is our reconciler. The first truth is this. Everyone, every human being, is at war against God. That's the default situation of everyone. Everyone is at war against God or against Christ. The Bible says we are all born into this world at war against our Creator. Right? And our situation only changes when we surrender our lives to Christ, when He gives us a new life. That's what verse 21 to 22 is really getting at. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now, now present tense, reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. We'll stop there. Because what Paul is saying is that before the Colossians trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, there were these things. And these things that they were is the default situation of every human being. What are these things? Well, Paul says their natural condition was that they were alienated from God. And the word alienated literally means they were strangers or foreigners. Human beings, by default, um, their relationship with God, our relationship with God is like two people living on, the, on different planets, right? We have completely different cultures from God. We speak a different language to, from God. We are alienated. It's like an, a, a new neighbor moving into our neighborhood. We know they are there, but we have no relationship with them. That's the default situation of every human being. We are alienated from God. Why are we eliminated from God? Well, because when God created us, we chose to be with the devil and sin and to live apart from the love and care of God. When sin entered this world, it separated us from the love of God. From, as, we, as we reminded us yesterday, it separated us from life with God. And the name we use to describe this sin that causes fracture is original sin. We are all born as original sinners. It has been like that since the days of Adam and Eve. And this sin in us has left us with a depraved mind. This is the second thing Paul reminds us here. Look at that. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. Every person is naturally hostile in mind to God. I mean... We hear that, but you need to let that sink in. 
that the default situation of every human being is that they hate God. This is why football stadiums have more people on Sundays than churches do. People naturally hate God. They don't want time to do with it. This is why parenting our children is hard. Why? Because a child's mind naturally hates the law of God. This is why our MPs are addicted to pornography. Why? Because people hate God. And by extension, they hate what God has created. They use and abuse that thing. This is why there is war in the Ukraine. Why? Because people have minds that are hostile to God. And this law of peace. Our hostility to God makes us do evil and corrupt things to God. That's what verse 21 says. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The human mind is like a factory that churns out all kinds of evil. We cannot stop sinning because no one can. Because the software of our mind is infected with the virus of sin. And it's not just that we do evil things, right? Even the good things that we do are evil because they are produced by a mind that naturally hates God. And God cannot enjoy the things we do which are good. How can he? Because the the fundamental relationship is hateful. Imagine if Vladimir Putin tomorrow decided to buy Mr. Zelensky uh, a birthday gift. If he turned out to be his birthday and sent it to him. Will Zelensky accept that? Well, he might accept it and say, well, you owe me everything, so I accept it. But will he enjoy it? No. Because even that good thing that Putin may do, if it means it's good, is evil, isn't it? Because the fundamental relationship between the two men and their two countries is broken. There's war there. For the, for the gift to be accepted, the war first has to end and peace has to reign. In the same way, all the good things we do, you love it. Think about that. Loving our kids, helping the poor, attending church, being good citizens, voting on Thursday in the local elections, doing our bit, right? Some of you might not do that, but I, I think you should. <laughs> it's good to exercise your right to vote. All such good things. Putting in 120% at work. All of those things are good things. But they are not pleasing to God. Because we are at war against God, naturally. We are born enemies against God. And we, all of us here, by default, sense our enmity with God in our minds. We do. Our human conscience tells us that we are not living as we should. Do you ever feel guilty uh, for something you think, say, or do? Do you ever say to yourself, you know, she didn't have done that. She didn't have done that. No one has told you, but you just said, I acted wrong there, and it keeps nagging you. I should have been more honest in this situation. Or I shouldn't have looked at that. What's going on there? Well, it's a guilty conscience. It's an alarm of war. It's an alarm of war. It tells you that all is not well between you and God. The sin in us has made us enemies of God. 
And the Bible says our war against God demands that God, the righteous judge, punishes for our sin. And God will not rest until he does. Romans chapter 2 verse 5 to 6 says this. Uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 5 to 6. You don't need to turn there, but it says this. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It will render to each one according to his works. Each one according to his works. Imagine that. And he says all your sins, all your rebellion against God is storing up judgment for yourself. The clock starts ticking the moment you are, well, the account starts piling up the moment you're born. All sinners are under the judgment of God. We desperately need to be reconciled to God, don't we? We need peace with God so that we can have peace, the peace of God in our lives. Right? Now, when two people are at war against each other, the situation often needs a mediator, doesn't it? Right? Uh, an impartial third party to broker a peace deal. Now, the problem is that we have a big problem because the person we have offended is God. And for us to have a mediator with, between us and God, it has to be at least God's standard. He has to be God himself. That's problem number one. The mediator must be God. Problem number two is that to have peace, one of the parties have to willingly reach out to the other person to freely offer them their peace. But we just said, we are also out to God. We have no interest in God. We are not interested in what he has to say to us. So we're not going to reach out to him. And indeed, we cannot reach out to him. So we need God to take the initiative. And the amazing news of this passage is that God has done just that. God the Son came in Christ to pay the price of peace by dying on that cross for our sin. And that's the second truth we learn in this passage. The first truth is that everyone is at war against God. The second truth is that Christ died to reconcile us to God. Christ died to reconcile us to God. Christ is our loving God. And Christ is not happy that creatures he has created in his own image hates him. Just as a parent is not happy when the relationship with the child is in some way we don't like that as parents. We want that to change. In the same way, God, our loving creator, is not happy that us, his creatures, are at war against him. No parent wants that. He's not happy that we should suffer eternal punishment in hell. Hell is real, but God is not cheering anyone to hell. You know, sometimes when you, you hear preachers speak, it's almost like God is really excited to get us there. Now, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not holding a party in heaven that finally you who live every day in rebellion against him will suffer eternally in hell. In fact, the only party in heaven is when people repent. There's much rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents and turns away from hell. And this is why he has taken the initiative to reconcile us back to himself by coming in the person of our Lord Jesus to die on that cross for us. Look at verse 21 to 22 again. 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This verse is saying that Christ reconciles us to God by paying the damage for the breach of peace that has occurred between us and God. Right? The penalty of our rebellion is death. That is what we all got. Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Right? But we are spiritual criminals. We, 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 we cannot pay back God our death. We cannot pay the penalty. And the reason we cannot pay the penalty is that we are condemned to die already physically, but also we are already dead spiritually. We can only be set free from our death if someone dies physically in our place and suffers the punishment of God that we deserve in hell for us. And the good news of this passage is that Christ has done that. He died on the cross, not only to suffer death for us. When Christ died physically on the cross, God poured on Christ the very punishment that I deserve, that you deserve. Christ is a perfect mediator because he's fully God and fully man and has suffered the punishment of God on the cross to give all who trust in Christ peace with God forever. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you what? Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul is saying the death of Christ does not just take away enmity with God. That's a wonderful thing. It gives us, but gives us something more. Fellowship. Fellowship. Or even to be more precise, family with God. Or intimacy with God. It is the parable of the lost son, isn't it? We have offended God, our father. We have squandered the love and care of our father. But our daddy has reached out to us. He has welcomed us home instead of punishing us. He has forgiven us and thrown a welcome party, hasn't he? He says to us, oh, he's forgotten now. You are my child. I love you to bits. And this is your home. Let's be one family. That's the gospel. Reconciliation plus fellowship. This is what Christ has come to give all trust in him. By his death on the cross. So that we can be home with him forever. Right now at this very moment. If you trust in Christ. You are already home with God. And Christ will present you on that day holy and blameless and above reproach. Why is Paul saying this to us? Why is he saying this to the Colossians? Well, you know the thought line, if you've been with us for a while, it starts from verse 9, doesn't it? All the way there to verse 12. But particularly look at verse 11, um, what he says in, 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 verse, in verse 10 there. Right? He wants them to live with joy and patience. Doesn't he? That's his prayer for them. And that's why he's encouraging us with this truth. Verse 11 says, May you be strengthened with all power, in verse 11, according to his glorious might, for 
O endurance and patience with joy. Pues he said, no matter what you're going through, remember that all is now well with you in Christ. He says, focus on this truth. Christ has reconciled you to God by his death. That's how you grow to live with joy and patience in every situation. Remember that right now there is no barrier between you and Christ. You are now holy before God through Christ. His death has set you apart forever to live with him. You are now in Christ. You are not just in Christ. You are now holy before God. You are now blameless before God. Words, right? But there are more than words. Think about that. You are now, if you trust in Jesus, blameless before God. You do not carry the weight of blame for any sin you have committed in the past or present or will ever commit in the future. That's extraordinary. Wow. It's beyond words. All the blame... All the blame for your sins have been nailed to the cross of Christ. All the blames we have as children growing up and our lack of obedience to our parents. All the blame that we have as, as parents or failure to parent our kids as they should. All the blames that we have in the place of work where we, we skive off, we don't meet the standards. All the sacred sins that we have accumulated in our lives. Oh, the blames of failures to pastors we should, to minister to the people as we should. All oh, the blames, all oh, the blames. He has nailed them to the cross of Christ. He now looks at us as holy, blameless, and above reproach. What does that mean, above reproach? Well, this simply means you have a new positive reputation. It's not simply that the blame is no longer there. There's something added to your account. The cost is gone. But a new benefit has been reckoned to your account. This new reputation, where does it come from? Well, from Christ, isn't it? The holy, perfect life of Christ has now been charged to your account. God now looks upon you, not only without fault and blame, because you stand in Christ, but with all the righteousness of Christ reckoned to your account. You're not a fool. You are in Christ. You have his reputation. No matter what the word says. You're not a failure. You've succeeded already in Christ. Because Christ has succeeded on your behalf. And Christ will ensure that you remain holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Until you see him on that last day. And Paul here is saying, look, remind yourself of this truth every day. I'm praying for you that you get to know this truth more. So you can give joy and thanks, Paul is saying. And we have a responsibility to remind ourselves of this truth. Remind yourself that of this truth when you stumble in sin, as you will. It will remind you to repent of sin because living in sin is no longer who you are. You get that? Being blameless and recognizing that and letting that sink in. Reminds you that sin is not who you are. You are now a holy and blameless person before God. And when you remember that, you repent of sin, won't you? And it will fill your life with joy and patience. 
Remember this truth when you're suffering. Right? In your suffering, remember that you now have peace with Christ. You are not suffering alone anymore if you trust in Jesus. You suffer as his people. The words of Christ, it is finished, are for you in every way. You're not suffering because God is punishing you. No, remember Christ has now made you above reproach by his righteousness imputed to your account. God is allowing suffering for your good then, isn't it? The Christian never suffers as punishment. It's always formative. Our suffering to make us more and more like Jesus. To reveal outside who we already are inside. That's why we suffer. To make the glory of God shine more and more in our lives. And so remind yourself of these things. And, we, and as we remind ourselves of this truth, we begin to live with the peace of God in practice, isn't it? Our hearts are now filled with hope and thanksgiving overflowing to Christ. We are thankful that Christ has a big heart of peace for us. That he's fond of us as his children. That he has welcomed us in his arms forever. We are thankful that Christ is so selfless and so humble on our account. He could have just let us go and suffer in hell forever. He could have put, you know, Christ could have put up a list of demands for us to meet. Maybe just one. Maybe even just two. Out of an infinite set of things that God could ask. He could have just put up one. But he hasn't done that, beloved. Christ has ticked every single box for you. More than that, he has shed his own blood. The blood of God for you on that cross. To give you peace with God. And for you to live in his peace every day. Why should Christ do all of that for me? Why seek any of us out when we hated his guts? Why humble himself for me, a sinner, on the cross? He doesn't have to. So as we think about that, let us grow to thank Christ that he died to reconcile us to God. Let us grow to thank Christ that he's a loving, compassionate, tender, wonderful Savior who willingly shed his own blood to reconcile us to himself. Now someone here may ask, he said, how can I be sure that as a follower of Christ I have truly been reconciled to God? How can I know? How can I be sure? Well, the, the answer is in the final truth, isn't it? Everyone is at war against God. That's truth number one. Truth number two, Christ died to reconcile us to God. That is the good news. Well, how can I know? Well, we can know because we receive reconciliation by continuing faith. That's the final truth. The key requirement for enjoying reconciliation with God is having a faith that endures. A persevering faith. A continuing faith. True faith. Not faith in faith or faith in anything else. But faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his death on the cross for us. That's verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith. I just want to say something that's not obvious as you read that. That, that sentence, if indeed you continue in the faith. Right? Because the first reading of that, it sounds conditional, doesn't it? The if of verse 23 sounds like Paul is not sure. 
the Colossians will continue. But in the original language, in New Testament Greek, the grammar is actually not conditional at all. It is expectant. The if should be read more like because. For he's saying, because you've been reconciled to Christ through a continuing faith, you can be confident that you have indeed been reconciled. What is faith? Well, we looked at that. We had a whole sermon about faith in verse 4. You see, in the glance, verse 4, you see, it talks about faith and we had a whole sermon about that. We said three things about faith, isn't it? True faith is what? Putting your full weight on Christ by surrendering yourself to him as Lord and Savior. Do you have that? Do you have that? Have you surrendered to Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's true faith. Secondly, we said faith is not something we generate on our own. It's so important we understand that. It comes from God the Holy Spirit enabling our hearts to have faith in Christ. I was at a barbecue recently and I was speaking to a man who was confused about these things. And I said to him, faith, beloved, is not something you can generate. You are dead in your sin. Biblical teaching says faith is an output of regeneration. God must first breathe new life into you for you to have faith. And if you get that wrong, everything else means you save yourself. Faith is a gift from God. By faith, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. So secondly, faith comes, is generated generated by God himself. And finally here, the point Paul is making is more about faith, is the one we, we need to get, which is faith in Christ, true faith, endures. It is faith that continues and grows in trust in Christ. It is persevering faith. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. Once God breathes new life into you, gives you faith, you will continue in that faith. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul is confident that they will continue. Now, a person who is truly reconciled to God has a faith that continues to look to Christ in face of difficulties. It does not budge. It is built on Christ our rock. Now, I just want to be clear. This does not mean you can never backslide. We all stumble, don't we? We stumble on the waves as believers. What this means is that when we stumble in our faith, Christ is there to bring us back on the path of holiness. This is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is in our lives as the guarantee of this perseverance. It ensures we come back. Sometimes it takes a long time when we're backslidden, but Christ brings us those who are truly regenerated. All who are truly saved will see Christ face to face. And it's not our work, it's the work of His Spirit. It's... But this is important, isn't it? That true faith continues. The question for all who professes faith is not, the, is, is not when did you surrender your life to Christ? We like asking that. When did you become a Christian? As if being a Christian is like a single point and that's it. I mean, the question we should be interested in is are you continuing in Christ now? Are you, continue, are you trusting him now? Salvation is in the present tense. And I often tell people, I mean, obviously we collect testimonies as we invite people into membership, we want to know how it was saved, and that's good, it's just good encouragement. But I'm really interested to know where you are today. Are you looking to him? Is there evidence of a changed life? Are you growing to know him? 
Is your faith real and continuing? Can you say with confidence that you are growing in Christ? That you are continuing in Christ? And that you're becoming more like Christ. Are you, can you say that his priorities are increasing your priorities? His passion is your passion. Can you say that, that, that it is increasingly your life becoming like that? But if the answer is yes, then beloved, you are a true Christian. Be assured that the heart of God beats peace for you. He only has thoughts of peace about you. Your war with God has ended. Christ has made an end of your sin. God looks at you and says, this is my beloved son or this is my beloved daughter. In her I'm well pleased. Because Christ has been crucified for you and has given you this continuing faith. Yes, God hates the sin you still commit. But he's not angry with you anymore. You are a saved sinner now. Because you are now in Christ. You are at peace with God. Sometimes we doubt that, don't we? I doubt that sometimes. Life can make us doubt. When we sin against God, we think God turns his back on us. So what we do, we try and end our way back to God. A bit more Bible reading, a bit more church attendance, perhaps, so that God could say, oh, you've done well here. A bit more evangelism. We're trying to make God love us again. Sometimes the pressures of life can make us feel alone, can't they? It can make us, it can rob us of peace. All of us have questions that threaten to rob our peace in Christ. Does God know that I feel like a mess right now? Does he know that I feel like an hypocrite being in church today? When will God heal my sickness? Will I always suffer from depression? When will our family start getting along? How will my parents cope as I get older? Oh, the situation at work is beyond me. I, I feel so alone there. I'm struggling to juggle all of these things. Lord, I'm really struggling. Can you hear me? We have such questions, don't we? Beloved, whatever your situation you're in, look at Christ. Look at Christ there on that cross. That is God looking at you with eyes of love and peace. A God who has pursued you to the point of shedding his own precious blood. Divine blood, you might even say. Who has shed such blood for you. He's not about to abandon you now, is he? God is looking at you with eyes of peace and love. Reconciliation means you're no longer alone. You, you are now under the care of God in every situation. Christ himself is your shepherd. That's a game changer, isn't it? Because, because we have now the peace with Christ, we now have the peace of Christ. And so we can endure every situation in life with joy and patience. We can face the most horrible circumstances. Because we know that in God we lack nothing. The peace of God literally covers us. It helps us to live for him. Are you trusting in Christ today? Well, keep this truth central. Let it fuel your love in Christ. Do not shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been preached to you, Paul Keep reminding yourself every day that you are reconciled to God in Christ. Preach it to yourself when you're alone. At home, at work, at school, and yes, especially at church. We need to hear that. 
Oh, what a sad thing that Christians get bored of hearing these things. Because this is what saves us. There's no life without God without this reconciliation. The gospel of reconciliation process, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, you know, which I, Paul, became a minister. Let us pray that he transforms us. Well, may the Lord give you this peace with him that surpasses all understanding. Amen.